talking to me again, waiting. I know this is leading up to something. Dr. Hillstead never rambles. In a normal world, someone who's gone through what you've gone through would never go back, Smokey. If you were the average person in the average profession, you'd stay away from guns and killers and dead people forever. Instead, my job is to see if I can help you be ready to return to that. This is what is expected of me, to take wounded psyches and send them back into the war. Melodramatic, maybe, but true. Now Dr. Hillstead leans forward, and I feel that we are getting to the end of it, to whatever point he's leading toward. Do you know why I'm willing to work toward that, when I know I may be sending someone back into the thing that harmed them in the first place? He pauses. Because that is what 99% of my patients want. He pinches the bridge of his nose again, shaking his head. Smokey Barrett, born 1968, degree in criminology, accepted into the Bureau 1990, graduated top of her class at Quantico. He looks up at me and I feel blindsided, though I don't know why. Something stirs in me and I recognize it as fear. I grip the arms of the chair as he continues. Your file states that you possibly rank within the top 20th percentile worldwide with a handgun. Is that true, Smokey? I stare at my therapist and I feel myself going numb. Me and guns. Everything he's saying is true. I can pick up a gun and shoot it like other people grab a glass of water or ride a bike. It's instinctive. Always has been. It's true. He closes the file, clasps his hands and looks at me. You're an exceptional agent. Certainly one of the best female agents in the Bureau's history. You hunt the worst of the worst. Six months ago, a man you were hunting, Joseph Sands, came after you and your family, killed your husband in front of you, raped and tortured you, and killed your daughter. Through an effort that could only be called superhuman, you turned the tables on him, taking his life. I'm fully clothed in the numbness now. I don't know what all this is leading to and don't care. I can't help you unless you really lay it all on the table, Smokey. He pulls open a desk drawer and lifts out a plastic evidence bag. At first I can't tell what it holds, but then I can, and it causes me to shiver and sweat at the same time. It's my gun. How many times have you picked up that gun, Smokey? A thousand? Ten thousand? I lick my lips, which are as dry as dust. I don't reply. I can't stop looking at the Glock. Pick it up right now, and I'll recommend you fit for active duty if that's what you want. I can't respond, and I can't tear my eyes away from it. I lick my dry lips again. Just reach over and take it, I tell myself. That gun is an extension of your hand. Picking it up is an afterthought, like breathing or blinking. Go ahead, pick it up. His voice has gone hard, not brutal, but unyielding. I've managed to get one of my hands to come off the arm of the chair, and I move it forward with all the force of will that I can muster. It doesn't want to respond, and part of me, the very small part that remains analytical and calm, cannot believe that this is happening. My arm is shaking like a tree in a hurricane. Muscles spasm up and down it like a bag full of snakes. I leap up from the chair, toppling it over backwards and scream. I back away from his desk to the left wall, sliding down it. I register that I am moaning as I do this, a kind of keening wail. Dr. Hillstead has moved near me. Talk to me, Smokey. Tell me what's happening. I can't live like this. I can't live like this. No Matt, no Alexa, no love, no life. All gone, all gone, and... My mouth forms an O. I can feel it. 
I look up at the ceiling, grab my hair, and manage to rip out two handfuls by the roots before I pass out. I love to eat souls, the demon says in a conversational tone. Nothing like devouring something that was destined for heaven. I'm naked and tied to my bed, tied by silver chains so thin and yet unbreakable. The demon waves the serrated combat knife it's holding. It seems so small in those huge, clawed hands. But I like my soul's well done and spicy. Yours is missing something, maybe a dash of agony and a side of pain. Then it smiles, a leering smile, showing all those pointy teeth and shakes a claw at me, playful. I have someone else here too, my love, my sweet, sweet Smokey. It steps aside to reveal my prince, the one whose kiss I should have awoken to, my mat. He's naked and is tied to a chair. He's been given a long, terrible beating, the kind of beating designed to harm without causing death. Matt's one open eye meets mine, and the perfection of the despair I see there fills my mind with a terrible howling. The demon laughs again and does a little prancing dance, waving its tail and dripping pus from its pores. Ah, amore, how sweet it is. That'll be the cherry on top of my smoky sundae, the death of love. The knife goes down. I hear the wet cutting sawing sound, and Matt screams through his ruined lips as I scream through my gag. I wake up screaming, Shh, Smokey, it's okay. It was just a dream. You're here, you're safe. Why did you do that? I whisper. I'm done with the pretense of being strong in front of my shrink. He shattered me, and he holds my heart still beating in his hands. I did that because I had to. Dr. Hillstead is silent for a moment. You people, you are made of such strong stuff, you and your peers. You hoard your strength like a talisman. You act as if it had some finite source. But I know you are at your breaking point, Smokey. I can feel the truth of his words. So now the ball's in your court. You can get up and leave, or we can move on from here. I can help you, Smokey, if you'll let me. I close my eyes in response. Okay, Dr. Hillstead, you win. I'll give it a shot. I know it's right the moment I say it, because I stop shaking. I wonder if what he said is true about my strength, I mean. Do I have the strength to live? I'm standing in front of the L.A. FBI offices on Wilshire. Dr. Hillstead has ended the session with one dictate. Go and see your team. I move through the metal detectors of security and present my badge. I shoot a nervous glance down the hall. All I have to do is turn on my heel and run. And then I hear Matt. He's laughing. I can feel him smile, gentle and smug and not really there. Damn it. I push Matt away in my mind, and I open the door. It's not a big office, just the four of us. Then I see them. Callie and Alan backs to me, talking to each other as they point at one of the corkboards. James is there, focused with his usual cold intensity on a file that lies open on the desk in front of him. It's Alan who turns and sees me first. He laughs out loud. <laughs> Smokey! It is a voice filled with joy, and in that moment I am saved. 
Damn, honey love, you won't have to dress up for Halloween anymore. It was Callie who found me in the aftermath of Joseph Sands. I was naked and bleeding, screaming and covered with vomit. She was dressed to kill, as always. Callie. Alan is a huge, scary-looking African-American man. He's not just big, he is gargantuan. He is a mountain with legs. A new voice. What are you doing here? If displeasure was a musical instrument, this would be a symphony. This comes from James. We call him Damien behind his back, after the character in The Omen, the son of Satan. When he was twelve, James lost his older sister to a serial killer with a thing for blowtorches and screaming young women. He decided that he was going to work in this office the day they buried her. So, what's new around here? I walk all the way into the office, scanning the desks and the corkboard. Callie has been running things while I've been gone, and she takes the lead in responding. It's been quiet for us, honey love. Callie calls everyone honey love. Guess all the bad guys went on vacation with you. How did the abductions turn out? Child kidnappings are part of the butter on our bread and are something dreaded by all decent men and women in law enforcement. They are rarely about money. They're about sex and pain and death. One recovered alive, one recovered dead. I stare at the corkboard, not really seeing it. At least both were recovered. Callie turns her head to me. Let me take you to lunch, and don't bother trying to say no. I feel tears coming again, and all I can manage is a nod. Callie grabs her purse, then grabs my arm and hustles me out of the door. Knew you wouldn't want to start bawling in front of Damien, honey love. I laugh through my tears and just nod, taking the tissue she gives me and letting her strength lead me in my moment of weakness. We're sitting inside a subway sandwich.